Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm an analyst here at Gestalt IT, as well as being the moderator for this roundtable discussion. And I'd like to take a few moments to introduce our distinguished guests for today. My name is Jesper Wongertz, uh, Twitter handle package currently working for Airbus Cybersecurity. My name is Nate Avery. I'm a solutions architect uh, working for a systems integrator in D.C. My blog is notyourdadsit.com. My name is Evan Mincer. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Evan Mincer, and my blog is itsecdef.com. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Let's get to the premise of today's roundtable episode. Security is probably one of the fastest moving parts of IT, and why shouldn't it be? Because we have to keep all of the things safe. But in recent years, the velocity of malicious actors in the space around security seems to have accelerated beyond the capability for modern IT security to keep up. Uh, if you are following the news, uh, I mean literally every day or every week, you'll see some kind of a breach or some kind of an exposure. And the premise for today's episode is that IT security is not moving fast enough to keep up with malicious actors. So, Nate, you and I had discussed this just a little bit when we got started. What are your thoughts on this subject? I see it being a very difficult challenge for IT departments to keep up, uh, for security professionals mm -hmm. especially, because the bad guys, they're very well funded now. Uh, they've moved along from being just script kiddies to nation states in some cases. Uh, or it's organized crime, or just anyone with very deep pockets. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have time, right? And I just think that's uh, it's a challenge that's very difficult to face. Okay. Now, Jasper, I mean, you've, you've gotten a lot of uh, experience with this with some of the stuff that you've been doing. I mean, do you see that security is kind of lagging behind the people who are probing and attacking? Yeah, I think um, I'm not just talking about the products. I mean, the products are trying to keep up, and there's something new invented every day, probably. But uh, the IT security as a whole has the problem of uh, that there's not enough effort made to um, protect against breaches and things like that. So what we see a lot is that um, even the documentation of what companies currently have as, as assets uh, they don't even know what they have and how to protect it because they don't know what they have. That's true. So that's a problem. Evan, what are your thoughts on this? So I'm a little bit different. Um, I do agree that in the past uh, things have been pretty bad and there were a lot of companies that uh, may have thought of security as a secondary thing. I think the whole concept of in the boardroom getting concerned about breaches and, and stuff they're seeing in the media and they're saying they do not want to be the ones being caught in the media. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more of... Uh, board of directors and, and executives saying we need to put more into security. And I think that that's a good thing. And I think that's going to be what's driving a lot of uh, the catching up. So let's drill into that topic for just a minute because we always tend to look at security from the perspective of practitioners because that's basically what we are. And we always hear about we don't have any budgets, we don't have any room for headcount, um, you need to do more with less all over the place. How do you see the, the C-suite and the board-level people driving a change in the way that security happens inside of an organization? How are they going to accelerate what's happening, going on? So I think it used to be that IT is, is a cost center and they'd have to spend money for that and it's, we don't want to spend the money and put it into the business. However, I think there's starting to be a realization that if you do not put it into security and putting it into IT, 
then you're going to be on the front page and really one breach is going to cost more than what you're going to fund into the business. Your reputation can go downhill and the cost of that alone could be astronomical. So if you're going to say, well, if we put a little bit into the budget for security and, and elevate our security pro, uh, profile, then it's going to be better for the business overall. Yeah, I think that that's probably the uh, the world's worst news that you could possibly hear is yeah. Brian Krebs writing about your website mm -hmm. um, because we know what that generally means. Now, Nate, yeah. I mean, you work in some different sectors and mm -hmm. things like that. Do you think having buy-in from the very top level mm -hmm. driving down is going to fix the problems that you see? No, I, I find it very helpful. It's extremely helpful, and funding is extremely helpful. But I don't think it's a problem you can spin your way out of. You know, you look at the number of zero-day exploits. Okay, well, that's something that you can't prepare for, really. Um, how much money can you put into something that protects you from a zero day? Um, how much money can you put into uh, protecting it social engineering? There are so many different attack vectors that you just can't throw money at it. It's true. Jasper? Well, I disagree about the zero days because if we're looking at um, how often zero days are used and mm -hmm. burned in a thing um, where somebody is attacked, uh, usually it doesn't happen a lot because the most recent attacks I've seen, people just use um, the, the errors and misconfigurations mm -hmm. and the low-hanging fruit. They don't go mm -hmm. for the zero days. So what they do is they look for open RDP connections. They look for misconfigurations. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if the C-level boards now have more money for prevention, um, the one important thing to do is not buy more technology. They need to invest that into training and people because that's where the key defense is today. So what you're saying is, is that unlike what I've heard from a lot of the people that are trying to sell me security solutions and security tools, that the problem isn't that the tools are falling behind, it's that the people who use the tools are falling yeah, behind? People use the tools and even you could do so, so many things with free tools, so um, a, a trend that we see in the past few months is uh, using Sysmon, which is a free tool from, from system tunnels, just to add logging to endpoints. Uh, you don't need to buy anything, but you need somebody who knows how to configure the policy for this. And you can prevent a great deal of uh, uh, intrusions with that kind of thing. So I think it's more important to get people trained and, and um, create like um, defenses uh, that, that needs human interaction and, and observation than putting another box in front of another box because that will not do anything. So Evan, is this what you're talking about when you say that the C-suite's buying in? Do you think that they're going to pour the money into training or are they going to pour it? To a degree, yes. I, I think training is an important piece. I think not just for the people that are using the tools, but for the regular business users. Um, I've gone through phishing, uh, you know, internal phishing attacks where we look at our users and, and we tell them you know, afterwards, you know, 15% of the people not only did they click on the link, they also gave their user ID and password away when there was too many uh, obvious uh, flags there showing them, don't do this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is one of those things that, yeah, it tricks them, but it gets them thinking of, why did I do that? Maybe I need to be, you know, need to be better. And afterwards, I'd say for a few months, definitely, we saw people questioning emails a lot more. Um, email's probably your biggest attack vector. And when those emails come in, <laughs> some of them are, are fun to read when you know what you're looking for, but a little scary for the end users. But they're getting, I think they're getting better at, at finding the fake ones. So Nate, is training the answer? Is that how we fix this problem? I, it can help. 
Uh, it can definitely help. Uh, and, I, and I hate to go back to the zero day, but in 2016, Symantec reported there were about 4,000 zero day exploits, right? So you have to, in order to do training, you have to know what you're training against. Um, okay, so you're training against phishing attacks. Okay, cool. Um, but you don't know what you're fighting until you see it. So I'm not sure if that money would be better spent on uh, really good stuff that can shut down and quarantine machines once they're breached. So mm -hmm. let's stop and talk about that for just a minute mm -hmm. because this is a problem that we hear about in security a lot. The reason why it's so hard to protect against a nation state trying to hack nuclear power controls is because you know they're using they're burning zero days that we didn't know we had, or the reason why it's so difficult to stop things like I don't know Configur or any of the other stuff that people have been paying ransomware for is because we don't know how they got into our systems. But every one of those things has an attack vector. I mean, Stuxnet was delivered via USB keys in a parking lot. Yeah. So. What, no matter how complicated the problem is or how complicated the delivery mechanism looks, there's still some commonality between that. So should we spend more money, like Evan says, educating the users on the delivery, educating them to see the security threats before they become a problem? Would that allow us to redeploy our budgets in a way that makes more sense to be able to buy tools to look for other less common things. If our users are already saying, you know what, this doesn't look right. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, and, and maybe also putting money into re-architecting applications, right? I mean, a lot of the things that are attacked or still have attack services because it's, you know, some 30-year-old legacy thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, what did Stuxnet attack? It attacked old infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's something to be said for that as well. Uh, you have to modernize in order to make some of this stuff better. Jasper? Well, um, rebuilding applications is something that a few people want to do because it's, it costs a lot of money, but it's probably the best way to get rid of a lot of the exploitable surfaces. Um, or when it comes to actually using the zero days, um, first of all, you need to have a way into where you're going to use it. So that is usually, as you said, email, um, because drive-bys don't yeah, have nine, that much anymore. I think anymore. it's like 95% so of the time. We see email. that email is the most common one. So um, basically, um, what, you, what I think would be good is not only reducing the tech services on applications that you have, and you have to renew them anyway because they're getting too old, too slow, and using outdated technologies, but uh, in general, um, go and try to apply a least privilege uh, um, architecture so that somebody in accounting can't run PowerShell scripts without being locked because mm -hmm. they don't need to. Mm -hmm. So th these are the simple things, but you need to do them. And you need, yeah. That's the problem. You need people who have the idea to do that. Yeah, and that, I, I agree with that statement. Um, a lot of things about you know, putting in least privilege, uh, there are tools that you can put in place that are going to look at, at, like, for instance, looking at an anti-malware program that's going to look at Windows files and when things are changed. Um, so there are definitely tools that need to be put in place to help that and look to see what's happening in the organization. A lot of them, as you said, least privilege is it, it's more of a, uh, of a configuration than a tool. Mm -hmm. um, so from a cost standpoint, it's time and effort to put it in place. Uh, so really, yeah, you get, you, you get a good security person that can say, this is how it should look, and we can go and deploy it. And this is how you, so from a cost standpoint, that's time and effort. Um, other tools like any malware, you know, that's a cost, but that's something that I think uh, 
you know, realizing antivirus is not a, enough and, and the executives are going to put in those tools. And then training for the end users to say, you know, when that email comes in and it's coming from my, you know, my head of HR or my head of finance, it's coming from the outside and there's a misspelling in, in there. Maybe I should question if this really came from that person. So is it possible that there's too much burden placed on the IT departments? Because it, it sounds like, you know, least privilege. Well, shouldn't it come out of the gate with least privilege already set up? Uh, yeah, well, it, it is, of course, a problem of the complexities today. Uh, so um, it would be better to do that. But mm -hmm. the only way to have a really good least privilege setup from the start is if you put your whole company on a, on a green field and build it from the ground up. But uh, IT has the problem that we started with something and it got bigger and bigger and more complex. So I want to take that thought because you literally took the words right out of my mouth where I wanted to head with this. So we talk about this idea of greenfields, and we talked about this idea of, of technical debt. And one of the things that is erasing technical debt and creating greenfield opportunities is a shift to a cloud model, whether it's hybrid or public cloud. And it's forcing us to re-examine all of our security postures. It's forcing us to look at things like privileges and who needs access to what because the model no longer works from on-premises to in the cloud. Is the cloud the perfect opportunity for us to change the way that we think about thinking about security and accelerate our ability to respond to problems that we currently have and possibly even get rid of them because of all of the extra, um, ah, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, all of the extra expense and effort that has to go in to migrating to a cloud. I think the cloud has the advantage that um, if you have um, somebody running the cloud who knows um, how to do security, um, that person can do that efficiently for a number of customers of that same cloud. So mm -hmm. uh, one thing I have seen is that if you have uh, good security people and they're doing that kind of thing for a number of customers, these customers don't need to have their own security people that are as good as this guy or uh, this girl who's doing it. So that could be a good thing to do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the cloud allows you to make uh, models that are secure at the beginning, you turn it into code, and then you just stamp it out every time you need to. So there wouldn't be a reason to have a new setup that, was, uh, that went out without your security settings in it. I, I think one of the things that's helping, too, is the, cl the big cloud vendors, the Microsofts, the Googles, the, the AWS, um, they're realizing that it's it's not the same as putting a server, you know, in, in your own server room and trying to build, you know, off a SAN or something like that. Um, so they're starting to help with putting their own tools out there that people can use. Yeah. I think the big thing is with that move to cloud, it is, you know, not, not to say that buzzword, but it is a paradigm shift because it's no longer the everything's behind my firewall and I'm good. No, it's out in the ether and, and you know, you need to look at it differently. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, and I think really what it comes down to is we always talk about the fact that IT has to move at the speed of business, because without business, IT wouldn't exist. But security has to move at the speed of the people who use it. And if the people who use it can't keep up, we need to find a way to make sure that that happens. Because all of the tools in the world, all of the amazing technology and automation and things like that, can't do their jobs if the people who operate those tools don't know what they're doing, whether it's a practitioner or a user. We have to make everybody a little smarter about security. And a little bit of intelligence can translate into a lot of speed so that as our attack surfaces increase, we have the knowledge to reduce
the likelihood that the attack services will be exploited. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable. You can always find the latest episode of this podcast on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to our feed in your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us in iTunes. Um, if you do find us in iTunes, if you'd like to leave us a review and a rating, that really helps us reach new audiences and be able to bring lots of new premises to people who are out there. Um, if you have a premise that you'd like for us to debate on the show, please make sure you tweet at us at Gestalt IT. Let us know what you have to say, and you might find your idea featured on the roundtable. So for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for our esteemed guest, and for the rest of the people at Gestalt IT, I wish you a good day and think secure.